you get looking. Welcome to Tripod, a podcast about cinema's unofficial trilogies, three films which are not linked by the usual elements like characters or plot, but instead are connected by a director, a writer, or actor, uh, sometimes much, much less. Today we're continuing our Cage Uncaged trilogy with the 1997 John Woo-directed Nicolas Cage action picture, Face Off. And we are very excited to be joined for the first time by a guest, uh, our former media studies and drama and theatre studies teacher, Brendan Carroll. Welcome, Brendan. Ooh, thank you for having me. Easy. So exciting to be on the podcast, especially because I just happened to watch this film last week. I know. Crazy coincidence yeah. that we happened to catch up and you said that. Yeah, no, it was on, I think it was on free to air. Um, I can't remember if it was on free to air or it definitely wasn't on streaming because I know I tuned in. Like half, not halfway through, but about twenty minutes in, and I was like, "Ooh, face off! <laughs> I, I have to watch. Gotta this. watch. Yeah, it's been so long." Tari, how you doing? Say that again. I just said, oh, how I'm you doing, doing good. Yeah, no, I'm doing very, very well, very well. I watched Face Off two nights you- ago, and I'm still processing it. Still processing. So, had you seen Face Off before, Tyree? This is my first time. I went in. I haven't seen any of these movies. This is my first time at all. Okay. So, both of you have just watched Face Off for the first time this in the last few days, right? For me, this is probably my fifth or sixth time in my life watching Face Off. Like, I loved it in the 90s. (laughs) So, this isn't your first rodeo. So, so my... It's not my first rodeo. And my my reading of it is going to be tinged with... Um, like nostalgia mm. for the time that was producing when I watched it. So it's going to be a different reading, which is going to be interesting. So that's why we're so interested to have you on because you're obviously a, a cinephile and a movie buff, but of that specific time, like you were probably coming out, like watching films as a teenager, like being really like, like bathed in the. Yeah. The, the- yeah, yeah. And the late nineties was, um was epic for, for big action pieces and, and blockbusters. Um you know, John Woo was doing a whole bunch of good stuff. He, I think, he did this and, and Broken mm. Arrow in the same mm. year, and he went on to do Mission Impossible Two. And um, mm. and uh, you know, in the late nineties, it was all about like big blockbuster set pieces and mm. doing things practically. Mm. And um, yeah, and I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, stuff like that, and it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like the the boat chase, I was watching like how they did it, and it looks so dangerous. <laughs> the guy water skiing next to the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, just like or even when the boat launches over the, the, the other boat, boat the, the police, police boat. boat. Yeah. And those there's actors who just have to like time their jumps with, and it's like, and they almost pride themselves in being like, yeah, this is really dangerous. Like if they are an inch off or a second late or whatever, like they could mm. be really hurt. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, Mad Max kind of style mm. stuff they were doing in the seventies. That's, um, which is why it's, it's insane that movies don't get made like that anymore, which is even more insane why Mad Max Fury Road somehow got made. Yes. Yes. Like, like what was that six years mm. ago? Yeah, like, pretty recent. That was made like practically doing all that stuff all over again. I don't know if that'd get made a second time, but um, but yeah, the the stunts in the movie are it, it's worth it just alone to watch it and go, this is real. <laughs> like this is actually happening. That's not CGI. Like yeah, that guy and really, you can tell that it's real because of how how many like, times they replay the same bit over yeah. and over. <laughs> and <laughs> that also, boat going through the police boat is replayed yeah. about six times, like yes. from about mm. six different angles. Every yeah. camera that captured, they're like, we cannot waste a yeah. shot. That <laughs> cost us a million dollars. The, the stunt doubles though as well they're just un- unashamedly not the the actor yes. like they don't care <laughs> yes they yes. don't care this- what they get they're just like let's use it you yeah. know 
yeah, full disclosure. The guy water skiing is definitely a different body shape. Yeah, I, I loved this movie. I'll be I'll be straight up, but like it's definitely very sweaty. Like yes, the stunt doubles you can go. That's mm. not Nicolas Cage. That's not John Travolta. But then you also see a, a few like um, safety harnesses on a few people. I don't know if you caught that. Saw some like strings yeah, in the background. Yes, I, I caught that. And I was the like, that, that, that guy's about to fly into the air. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. His safety harness wobbles in the background for yeah. like a good second yeah. afterwards. Yeah, that was. Yeah, wild. I did see that. That was wild. Which I'm all for because it just means it makes me realize how real it is. I'm like, that guy is in danger. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and it makes me that's what makes me love that that era of movie making. Yeah. Um was just like the the uh, like the disregard for the safety of, <laughs> of everyone on the set. It makes it more thrilling. Like you're just like, "Whoa, this yeah. is really dangerous." Yeah. 6 6 miles of uh wiring and 1500 mm. rounds of ammunition or blanks were fired in that uh yes. that shootout in the house in the mansion. Yeah. Yeah. You know when the guys like, "Oh, my house is getting all screwed up." <laughs> it's like, "Buddy, you got other things to worry about." <laughs> like that 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 took them I think they were on the 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 um explosives and like uh stunt team were on that set three months and the shots like the filming of it took 21 days and they got it's like a yeah. what, five minute sequence yeah ten minute sequence. yeah it's, that's why they don't do it like that anymore because yeah. that's just exorbitantly <sighs> and, expensive and this would have been on film right yeah so they yeah. would have had to, like there's no like uh there's no saving any money or like yeah. you know yeah stuff mm-hmm. like that now those setups they can do in you know a yeah. day or two but um yeah because a lot of it is just green screen. You know, so. I would, I would love to know. Like, I would, ha- I love to have a documentary where they sit down with directors of this time and talk about the shots that they missed, like the stuff that they screwed up, mm. and how much money it. Co- because you always hear these stories where it's like, it was this one day we had to get it right. We only had one thing left. And it was blah blah, and we did it. We got it. We got it yeah. in the can. And it's like, I'd love to just hear stories where they're like, nope, we screwed the pooch on that one. We lost a lot of money. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that would be. There'd be lots of those stories, I'm sure. Yeah. Heaps from every movie. Um, wow. So, Tyree, you've said that you you enjoyed this film. Uh, we obviously, uh, towards the end of the show, we'll get into our, our power ranking of this trilogy and and whether we think that it deserves to to, to be its uh, have its own place as a box set. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how we rank these trilogies. Um, yeah. In the sense of if they were sold as a as a package deal, mm-hmm. are they deserving of that? Okay. Um, I I personally, I don't know. I I I really. Um, I'm about I'm middle ground on this one. Like okay. I'm I'm not in love with it, but I also didn't hate it, especially not as much as Con Air. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling I know what your I have a feeling I know what your power ranking is gonna be then. <laughs> well it's easy with them when there's three movies. It's like yeah. it's you know, if if you like one and don't L- like one literally. and you're kind of even on the other. It's different about the other one. It's like, well, there um, it is. But I did think that like this one had um, maybe the most insane opening of any of the three, and maybe the most insane opening of any film I've ever seen yeah, in terms of like heart. Okay. It's straight to the like, just yeah. like let's kill a child with let's it. kill <laughs> a five year old. Not only kill yeah. a five year old, but like headshot him through yeah. the chest cavity of his father <laughs> and show it too, and like when he's lying it. on the ground. Yeah. yeah, and also like the the um the the the, the intro of Nick Cage's character. The way he kind of just sweeps his trench coat aside was just so funny. There's a mm. lot of slow motion. In, yeah. Um, yes. in, like uh, every shot of Nick Cage walking into any location <laughs> was in slow motion. <laughs> Whether it was yeah. 
and uh, stuff flying. Where there is, I, I love that one shot where he steps out at the airport. There's like a bir- uh, little bird's eye above his car that he gets out of, and his cloak just sort of flies in the wind mm. in this sort of Matrix style Neo, mm. like just such a great shot. And then yeah. there's the, the iconic shot of the doves flying away when they're entering the church at the oh end. But there's God, just yes. so much slow motion. And when you watch any of John Woo's films, you watch Broken Arrow, you watch Mission mm. Impossible Two. There's so much slow motion. He was mm. he was a lover of the slow motion introduction yeah. shot. He he loves multiple different frame rates and multiple cameras. <laughs> So I feel like any mm. setup, there's probably going to be at least three to five cameras going on and they're going to be yeah. filming at like 24 frames per second, 40 frames per second and 60 frames per second. <laughs> and he Which just leaves it to gets. the editors to, you know, navigate that maze of footage. Yeah, which is why you get yeah. repeatedly filmed of the three. Different directors each time, yeah. Tari, but what did you think? Yes. Did you like this, the way this was filmed better than the other two? This one style, so I, I love John Woo movies, although I haven't seen any of his American ones. I must have seen Mission Impossible once, maybe as a child, but mm. I don't really remember. He did Mission Impossible 2, which mm. was- Mission Impossible well, 2, I think yes. was better than yes. Mission Impossible 1, stylistically yeah. anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've only seen his Hong Kong movies, um, so before I made the leap to Hollywood. Um, yeah. But I love his movies a lot, um, and- it's interesting. Obviously, this is a uh, Nicolas Cage trilogy we're talking about here. But this movie, unlike unlike Con Air and, you know, to a lesser degree, unlike The Rock, it's harder to talk about this movie without talking about John Woo's influence on it as opposed to the other ones. Yeah. Like, John Woo is so he's such an auteur and, like, so much of his fingerprint is on every shot, like Brenny was saying just before, with the way he sets up a scene, the way he's using different frame rates, uh, the way he's introducing characters in such an operatic, big, extravagant way. So it's it's tricky because we, we obviously need to, like, get into Cage and what he's doing here, and he's doing a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> so much of this movie is John Woo uh, just laying it out flat. I think, and yeah. Should we should we yeah. get into kind of what the I guess basic premise is in case people haven't seen it? Because it's pretty. Yes. Yeah. Well, essentially, Nick Cage wants to take his face off. Off. <laughs> off. That's the quote. <laughs> I want to take his face off. Yeah. And off. then they say it like three other times in that scene. It's like, yeah, we get it. Yeah. It's like you said it. <laughs> we so, get yeah, it. Nick, Nick want to take his face off. <laughs> yeah, essentially, John Travolta is the good guy, the quintessential good guy. He's a cop. Mm. Um, his arch nemesis, Nick Cage, kills his child at the start of the movie when he's trying to assassinate yep. um, John Travolta. Bullet through the chest, but it strikes the child yep. in the head. So you know, um, arch arch enemies. The um, classic hero's mm. journey is eventually caught <laughs> near the start of the movie. <laughs> classic. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, he's caught and. Um, and then they discover there's this bomb hidden somewhere. They want to, mm. um, you know, the John Travolta. He's he wants to quit the job, but he he realizes that he has one last roll of the dice. If he wants to like mm. find out where the bomb is hidden in Los Angeles, he's going to have to do this wild medical experiment where he puts on the face <laughs> of his arch nemesis um, and goes out and confronts the brother in jail and like tricks mm. him into telling him where the bomb is. And um, of course, it go all goes wrong. He goes to j- he's in jail doing his thing, and Nick Cage wakes up and he he abducts the um the face transplant guy to, and he puts John Travolta's face on his own so they've swapped faces um and then the movie plays out as such where they have to battle each other but they're in each other's bodies essentially um I, I would what say I love wild, most about wild first off yeah a very great recap that was a very tight recap 
Now so we don't definitely need to talk about the plot at all, which is the, the, the constant <laughs> yes. uh, battle that Tori and I have, which is he likes to go through the plot step by step, but I just like to talk about the bits of... <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's the setup. The bits that stuck out. I think if you read, the, um, if you read the, the blurb on the back of the DVD, that's, that's what it would say. That's pretty much what yeah. it would say. Yeah. With no yeah, yeah. spoilers. Yeah. Uh, what I loved most about this movie was... Oh, we'll spoil the shit out of this thing. Yeah, good, um, good. You'd have to be a fool not to watch this. I know. I mean, movie the movie came out twenty-five years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's be spoilers. Get over it. What I loved most about this movie was, well, compared to the other two movies in this trilogy. Uh, so yes, they set up the idea of this time bomb going off. For some reason, he gives it like twenty-four hours before, it, or even longer. No, I he guess, gives it like eight it days. Or it's like one hundred and thirty hours eight or something days. crazy. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not like hidden that well. Any janitor could have seen no. that bomb. I think gone. What yeah. the fuck is this thing <laughs> anyway i have so many questions about that opening as well we'll get to that yeah but um they set that up but then it, it turns from being this time bomb roller coaster type film and then just becomes like a psychological thriller almost and that's where why it's, it's so good where it's caster troy toying with him yes, yes exactly yes. This compared is to like compared to con air and the rock where it's this constant roller coaster that's in motion that has no brakes on it this one is more it, it like subverts that whole expectation, it does. puts a stop to it, yeah. and then we're just getting inside the heads of the two characters. And you which have I really to, like if I can put you in the mindset of being in the 1990s, that was kind of groundbreaking, right? Because every movie, and it's still <laughs> to this day, every movie like today, it, today it's morphed into like the giant sky beam. You know, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's in every superhero <laughs> yeah. film. Yes. Like it's, but in the 90s it was yeah, bombs it was blowing bombs, up. Ticking it, was, bombs. it was ticking bombs and terrorists yes. um, yeah. from Russia and yep. usually. But anyway, um, so <laughs> it's like Cold War stuff. But um, yeah, the. Uh, it was always so when this movie where where like the bomb problem gets solved in the in the first act, and you're kind of like you're kind of like oh my god, what's it's just yeah, becomes the, about the, it becomes about two people facing off against each other the, yeah and it, and it's it's refreshing. I agree with you both in the sense that that's like a cool. I, I like that element as well. That like the the typical things that we think are going to last the entirety of the movie and lead into the climax like that. This movie almost starts with a climax that would beat any other third act in any mm. other action film. Like the, the the chase down, the airport chase down of Nick Cage is unreal. Mm. And then the following like, you know, diffusion of the bomb and all that stuff. But then what I struggled with is I, I struggled to understand what, uh, and how do I say this, what Cage's plan was when he was Travolta. Like mm. he was obviously just kind of like, like I found that that middle part for me kind of floundered because I was like, I didn't get what Travolta slash cage, what the bad guy, what's his, what's his name? Daxon or something. Castor <laughs> Troy. Like I didn't get what he was, his deal was during that part of the film. I and that was kind of it is frustrating. A weak, it is a weakness. And I think if I had had to hazard a guess at it, it it's almost like he wants to live his life. Mm. Like obviously. But he the, does want to get back to his old body. Like he does want to get his old face back. He does. Yeah. But he's, but he sort of like does assume his life a little bit. He starts living in his house and like, like he starts being a, a pseudo dad to the, what, the daughter. What are we given though that he, he wants, does he want to, he wants to assemble some kind of anti-terrorist team, but therefore like it, he'll undermine it. Is that kind of his whole thing? Like what was he doing with the FBI? Like he was doing something there, right? They were giving us some, some kind of plan, but I just didn't. I didn't get it. I can't remember. To it be was honest, some. So. It was some kind of like I'm going to set up this like anti-terrorist squad, and therefore like we're going to you know. But then he, I, th- I guess he was going to undermine it in some way. Mm. I don't know. That's my understanding. Where I felt like I yeah, my struggled. understanding was he was going to yeah undermine it and potentially leech funds from it. Uh, mm. Go straight was yeah. his whole idea, um, which is you know pretty much the the 
feel like it's the motivation of a lot of like, well, definitely a lot of anti-heroes in TV and movies these days, which is like to make enough money as a crook and then go straight. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's not, it's not entirely I it would, clear. I think the movie would be stronger though if it, if it was, if you, you put that stuff aside and maybe like the, the motivation for swapping faces for mm. him is like actually to live a good, not a good life. But, but the perfect to, escape. Like yeah, I'm perfect not a, escape. like I yeah. want to keep this life now. Yeah, I agree. Keep this, life. Yeah. this is a good life and I'm going to keep yeah, it. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I could have honestly happily watched this movie with a 10 years later insert in the middle of the film after um, <laughs> after the prison yeah. Oh, as in, so he'd been doing, he'd been successfully doing it for 10 years, you're saying? Happily. Yeah, I think that it almost, yeah, that this almost feels yeah, to me, cool. and this is probably that. Um, well, I don't know where this influence is coming from necessarily, but it almost to me felt like that film. Um, I think it's Kim Ji Woon's uh, "I Saw the Devil." I don't know if I'm getting the director's name right, but it felt like "I Saw the Devil" or even "Old Boy" had that sort of, I don't know, tint to it in, in my mind. Um, so yeah, I could have Did happily. You- Go ahead. Did you both find that? Because I found that the the interviews that I watched of Cage and Travolta, uh-huh. their main motivation for doing this was to work with John Woo, to work with each other, and to to undertake this acting challenge of becoming the other person. But from I don't I don't necessarily know if they like I wasn't watching Travolta play Cage or Cage play Travolta and be like, wow, they're playing <laughs> their own their other like their their mannerisms, they're like m- becoming each other. I was like, they're just taking it in turns playing a very good like a good yeah, cop and yeah. a really crazy person i would i wouldn't say it's a masterclass in acting um but that's where know, so it, much of the the kind of real shine comes mm, from this piece is it, like people are like it's like they deserve oscars for this and i'm like this is like pretty basic stuff no, it's basic stuff <laughs> it's think, cage being cage and travolta being travolta yeah, I mean, that yeah, would be, yes that that's would what be, i think that's what the movie was always intended for like just to show off big stars originally it was written for um for Schwarzenegger mm. and um, and Stallone. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So it would have been Schwarzenegger and Stallone playing those characters, but they turned. Did they hate each other? Isn't, isn't that, uh, is that why they turned it down? Like they didn't. Something happened and it didn't work. And then Johnny Depp was going to be in it. Johnny for a Depp while. was going to be in it, and then once he found yeah. out it wasn't and a hockey turned, film, right? Am I hearing this yes, correctly? Yes. Yeah. What? He thought it was going to be a hockey film or something. I remember that story. Yeah. yeah. And then he read the script and turned it down. Um, and then it went to Cage, Cage and um, Travolta. Um, Why did he want to make a hockey film? I can't, off the wave of uh, he's like <laughs> he's, a, he's like these mighty ducks are getting too, too much play. <laughs> I gotta I gotta ride that wave. Well, he thought the timing was right. It was 1997. When was the last hockey film before that? Probably uh, Mighty, Mighty Ducks, Ducks in like Probably 92 or 93. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and then that's there was it. Mighty Ducks D2. It had been four like to five 95, years since Hollywood had seen a, a, a hockey film. Johnny Depp was like, you know. <laughs> Looking to make yeah, that big leap. I don't know leap. why he thought it was that, but um, but yeah, but uh, let's let's admit, like Stallone and Schwarzenegger would have been a massive blockbuster. Yeah, would have, but it would have been the same deal. It would have been like you go to see those two stars. They're not yes. particularly great actors. They're just like you just see them being themselves. Mm. But uh, I think um, I think the ultimate decision to go with Cage and and Travolta. Um, led to a far more quirky film yes. which kind of lives in it kind of sits itself outside of the typical mm. action Travolta I uh, sorry the action uh, Stallone and um, and Schwarzenegger type you know movies of the 1990s mm. who, who do you both prefer as a villain Cage or Travolta? Cage I want to ah. say Cage but I do want to well I want to jump back a page in a second but I won't I'll just say for now Cage is who I I wanted to see him play Caster longer I think 
Mm. Yeah, Cage is a good villain. He really is. I, I, I prefer like Travolta. Travolta. I yeah, prefer yeah. Travolta as a villain. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Travolta as a villain because I think he comes across more creepy and sinister. And I think Cage is better as a good guy because I felt sadder for him yes. when he was trapped. Yeah, I agree. So, okay. so therefore, so it's when Cage is playing Travolta playing Cage. I yes. was like, oh, I feel for this guy, but obviously that's just Cage. Like, I think that's like the I, biggest. I, yeah. That was probably the biggest challenge for um, these two actors. Like we were saying before, that like part of the marketing, I guess, was these two actors swap and are trying to act off each other. Um, but they also have to convince the audience to like them at one point and then detest them at another point, or at least feel like engaged with them in playing villains and heroes at the same time. Uh, and yeah, I personally like. I thought I wouldn't enjoy Travolta as the hero, but I did. I was getting around mm. him. I felt his plight. Yeah, I felt bad yeah, for old Johnny I, I Boy. Liked, um, they both work in both circumstances, mm. but um, yeah. But for me, Travolta is is a great villain. He plays a villain <laughs> in a couple of other movies too. He's yeah. It's the same yeah. year he did Broken Arrow, also with John Woo. Oh um, right, yeah, in which yeah. he was he was the villain. Mm. And, um, and oh. I used to quote that all the time as a kid. Um, there's this one line where he goes, I said, God damn, what a rush. I say that all the time. That Wait. sounds like the same tone that he delivers that uh, line in the prison where he's like, oh, you're hot. Yeah, Ooh. you're hot. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's Ooh, just calling back to Greece. Yeah. And, um, isn't yeah, that, ooh, isn't that also a quote from um, Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction? Doesn't she say the exact same line? Oh, does she? Maybe. Something like she's doing cocaine again, in, like, the, in the bathroom or something like that while John Travolta's waiting in the... the you know, fifties yeah. diner. But he does he does play a good villain, doesn't he? And then uh, in good, the yeah. early two thousands, he did a movie called Swordfish with Halle Berry, where he played a villain as well, mm. and he was really good in that too. Is that with uh, long hair? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hugh Jackman's a good guy in it. Hell yeah! yeah. Brenny obviously <laughs> gave us an incredible, incredibly distilled plot, but I want to mm. just jump back to the moment that the face-off procedure is suggested to Travolta. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That this procedure is so immediately suggested as like the only way forward. And yeah. this guy is like, no, I can break these. Like all we need, all they need to do is get the brother of cage talking about where the bomb is. Right. That's yeah. what they need. So it's like, he is a professional FBI investigator and interrogator. He's like, I can get them talking. They're like, no, you have to do this face-off procedure and become this person. That's the only way. And he's like, no way. We have like the three minutes. The only resistance minutes. is like, he just goes, I-, I can do it. I can just get me in a room. And they're like, I know. And they're like what if you can't? And he's like, okay, let's take my he's face like, off. Yeah, exactly. Let's but it's like, we get three minutes of him failing yeah. to, to get these people talking. And he's not, he does not look good in it. Like he's not like yeah. a good, he's not good at his job in this, in this moment. Yeah. And yeah. then they're like, let's, uh, all right, like, I guess I got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, and I love the reaction. I love the, the thing that I thought was craziest about this whole film is how suspicious people are when in reality you would not be suspicious of this thing at all. Like there are people who are like, like his brother in prison, for example, he's like, you, uh, he, he sees Nick Cage coming towards him. And for all intents and purposes, that's like seeing his brother come towards him. And instead of being like trusting him immediately, he's like, what medicine did you give yeah, me? Yeah, he's immediately And he's like, suspicious. are you kidding me? It's him. Yeah. Like, it's not like, the face is not like a mask. It's literally <laughs> the same person. Yeah. So I ha- I found it really funny, the consistent like mistrust yeah. that everyone had and the constant like worry on, the, on part of like the actors within the other person's body. Like, oh, I might get found out. Like, oh, I got to say the right thing. I got to do that. It's like anytime that it, it was almost like they, it, it's the same suspicion or the same worry you would have if you were wearing a wig 
yeah. for someone. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, I hope the wig doesn't come off. It's like, you are that person. Yeah. You have their face. It is surgically sewn on. I mean, yeah, you look exactly like them. You like, sound exactly like you. Sound you're, like, like why are you worried that they're going to find out? I just I found the, that a really funny way to play with the tension because I know that there needs to be some kind yeah, of yeah. dramatic I guess, pull, I guess the worry like, is, crazy. Like, is like that, um, you know, that they'd be found out via their mannerisms. Like, am I getting the yeah. mannerisms right? Which is why I love one of my favorite scenes is when um, John Travolta pulls up at his wife's house, but it's now it's now Nick Cage inside his body, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. and you can instantly tell he's like he's acting too cool, like it's it's outside yeah. of character. But his wife doesn't suspect a thing. <laughs> <laughs> whereas whereas the the opposite was true in the jail. Where, yes. Yeah, anyway. Yes. I it was quite funny. Yeah. yeah. There were some moments in here that really made me laugh. Like just when Travolta walks. This is when before the procedure. Travolta walks back into the FBI office after everything's like after the airport chase scene. After Cage is seemingly like, you know, finally taken down. And he's, you know, the FBI is clapping him and giving him a bottle of champagne. And I, I paused it to write a note that said like... Like, like, really? They're clapping? Like, don't they realize how fucking brutal and how many people died? Like, how, how, how they, they just lost, like, six of their brothers and sisters, you know? You know? And then he, I, I like the fact that he actually called them out on that. He was like, these people all died. Why are you clapping? Like, we've done yeah. this huge thing. It was, there were moments like that that in other movies, I think, would have gone unnoticed. This is interesting because you, you, we've brought this up twice now where... Mm. Both times in The Rock and Con Air, Nicolas yep. Cage has been asked to turn into a, a like a fascist <laughs> super cop hero or whatever. Yes. Pretty much pick up the gun and start uh, mowing that's, people we were down. Saying that's been his, like, and that'll affirm his that'll yeah. yeah. That'll affirm his masculinity and his place on on in our minds or whatever. Uh, whereas this one's yeah, putting a stop to that as well. It's another interesting subversion from John Woo. Yes, I think of all the three yeah. films, if we, because you know, obviously this is about looking at them as a as a as a trilogy and as, as a, a like package. A, a package. I yeah. think this is the film that I would go back to to watch, thinking that it might have a different, I might have a different take or reading for it. Like, yeah, right. Whereas the first, like, The Rock is something I go back to just be like, this is just a fun action film with some great acting and great like mm. set piece and just all that stuff. Mm. But whereas yeah. this one is like, there's more to it, I think, and yeah. maybe more to be garnered. I don't think there I is- necessarily would get anything from a second like a double dip, but maybe there's. Maybe to me, there's I mean, yeah. like, I, I'd forgotten. So as a kid, I remember the action. I remember like the great face-offs, mm. and I remember. But I it was on my rewatch this week that um that I'd forgotten that the characters actually come to understand each other in some sense, um yeah. you know like mm. it, it, John Travolta as Nicolas Cage finds out that Nick you know the bad guy also has a son, mm. um and a wife mm. and his and the son now he protects the son and then the same yeah. thing happens John Travolta um but Nicolas Cage is inside his body mm. you know um finds out that fatherhood is hard and starts to get quite protective of the teenage daughter and mm. and so they actually mm, kind of yes. they actually kind of understand each other's lives and that and that's detail that could have easily been cut out to save time for more yes. action and um I agree. a longer speedboat chase i agree cage um, i heard an interview with cage where he said that he was inspired to take this part on or at least had this in his back pocket while he was doing it which was he saw a documentary about a guy who was bitten by a shark and he said instead of hating sharks for the rest yes. of his life, this guy then devoted his life to kind of trying to understand them. Mm. And yes. I was like, okay, cool. But then he then he kind of got confused, I think, in his thought process because Cage then went on to be like, so this is a movie about this guy who um, who has to kind of get closure and understanding of, his, of this villain 
Um, but then he mm. kind of gets tangled up and, ev- and ends up basically saying like, that's why, you know, that, and so he, he needs to avenge his son and yeah. kill, kill this guy. So it's not the exact mm. same parallel where it's like the, the guy who got bitten by the shark didn't then want to go out and kill all the sharks. Yeah. It's like, mm. but I understand what, the way you put it there where it's like Cage or Travolta, like this thing happened to him. And then he wanted revenge. He wanted to kill this guy, mm. and he still does. Mm. But he like yeah, gains that I connection was, throughout the thing. I was gonna. Ha- I was gonna say that helps justify Travolta's leap to, you know, put on the face in the first place. Basically, mm. he's already interested in Caster so much. Mm. It's the reason he takes up this job. Because um, obviously he's, he's struggling at home. His I need to know her name. Uh, Eve, his wife, played by Joan Allen. Um, She's constantly talking about him being a distant husband and father um, because he's been chasing, he's been trying to seek revenge or try and get some kind of closure. And he has that scar as well as a sort of, uh, uh, a mo- you know, visual motif uh, to that. Um, so, yeah, I think that almost like helps justify Travolta's leap from, you know, um, instead of just <laughs> interrogating Castor's brother, uh, just wearing Castor's face, basically. Yeah. If, if we can yeah. go back to the... Um you know, back to that moment of, you know, them finding out about each other and discovering each other. I think one of the big missed opportunities of this, of this movie is that, mm. you know, he kind of connects with the wife a little bit and he connects more so with the with um, Cage's daughter. Um, mm. But then when it comes to the final act of the film, he takes the daughter hostage, you know. And I th- actually think that, mm. that it, it doesn't continue the, the narrative arc that they've set up there. Like, I think it would have been True. to the film's strength if something had happened where like mm. he couldn't actually do it to the daughter because he'd had, he'd formed some kind mm. of connection mm, um, yes. and that was somehow led to his downfall. That's, in some way. that's my big problem with this mm. film is that you, I understand like everything you guys have said about their kind of gaining understanding and connection of each other is there, but it's not explored enough in a way mm. that actually m- makes it meaningful. It's yeah. pure, like these, the, and it's, it's identified in the way that cage or, like Travolta within Cage keeps yelling like, die, why won't you die? Like yeah. every time he gets close to killing Castor Troy, it's like he's, he's, it's like, that's all he wants. Like, so I don't mm. necessarily, I think if the intention was there to, to kind of have this thing where it's a, it's a, you know, a, an exploration of how similar these kind of polar opposite characters are. That would have been far fell, more interesting. Yeah. I think if, but yeah. I think maybe it was trying that in moments and I think it fell yeah. short. Yeah. I do want to say, Tyra, you, you mentioned motif. Um, how do we feel about the motif of the face drag? I hated it. <laughs> weird. <laughs> so this is where, Very weird. This is where my nostalgia of it's going to cloud my judgment because <laughs> I used to do that all the time. No. Yeah, yeah. Not to <laughs> people you love, right? No, just like to my, like my sister <laughs> strangers. or my like brother oh, or whatever. No. Like, and even like in early relationships, there's kind of like just a joke. Like okay, a, a okay, good, good, good. Like just like, okay, okay, okay. Just like the hand on the face. But I could, but watching it back, I was yeah. like, that's very lame. It's uh, lame and weird, yes. man. It's yeah, like it's a weird. weird we like, should because describe. Because he does it immediately to people like he does it to the the, the, the yes. sister does it to that little boy as soon as she meets him it's like it's a, a very invasive thing. that was yeah i so yeah i was watching this again with my partner um uh, <laughs> last night <laughs> and yeah we like we almost counted every time it happened and it just got weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> it did um, it did because, because every time they did it you like, thought it was going to be the last one by the time by the time the daughter did it we were like this is a cult family and this child is being inducted <laughs> yes. into this cult and it's not a good thing how did we feel about the it worried us a little bit. by the way and uh I, can, finish, yeah, finish your thought finish your I thought like sorry about the face but finish your thought and then i want to get into that because it was i don't know well i was gonna say i was gonna say um 
Shit, what, what was I going to say? You were talking about the Gwen watching uh, the face thing and at the cold. Well, family. I just thought we should describe it. We should describe it for those who haven't seen the oh, film yeah, yeah. and are listening to this. Basically, John Travolta has this this I don't know what you'd call it a move. Would you call <laughs> it a move or just like a gesture? And, yeah. Where he gently brushes his hand down someone's face. Uh, it's kind of like an ICU. That's pretty much it. Like. It's a very Edward Scissorhandsy kind of. Yeah, like, very yeah. ICU. Definitely, it's definitely channeling some um, some Jake yeah. Sully in there. And I thought I, was, I thought that maybe the the daughter at the end would like when she had to make the decision between who's her dad. It, it would be like she'd run yes. her, her fingers down his face and be like, "You're not my dad." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, know, I thought it was. Gonna yeah, it would be good if there was a giveaway like that. But you know yeah. what did yeah. come that back? Would, that was would the butterfly help. knife. <laughs> yeah. That's what came. Yes, back. The that's the knife thing. I loved that setup. Yeah, I loved that setup so much. Me too. Like I that, knew it was coming back. I think but that I was like, almost do it. that almost talks to what you were mentioning just before, Brenny, about there being a completion to the arc. Yes, I yeah. feel like. Although Caster's in a way being a interesting or like, you know, helpful father figure, like teaching his daughter to, you know, not take shit from everyone. Here's this butterfly knife. It's interesting because obviously John Travolta, like the real John Travolta, what his name is, Sean Archer, wouldn't do that to his daughter. He'd say, don't stab people. That's bad. Whereas uh, Caster would. Mm. And that is his downfall in a way. It's like, here's this weapon of violence. Go use it. And that ends up being his downfall in a little way. Like takes him down a notch, but I loved that setup, and I was I was waiting for the scar to come up again as well. Mm. Um, instead, it comes. So I was thinking maybe if she's oh yeah uh, sleeping with sleeping with Casta as in you know John Travolta's body, she'd go what the where's, where's, the the, where's that gone? scar yeah. that we made such a big point yeah. about? Yeah, that's a really um, instead it just comes down instead it just comes down to a missed opportunity. Yeah, instead it just comes, it down, comes down, to, down to something that uh, he wants to keep, but then says he doesn't need to anymore as a as a kind of. Sim- I don't know. Yeah, I, that he's moved on. I was like, this is. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know. Do you know what I've just realised? And he- yeah, going back to going back to the the child yeah. thing, uh, I'm kind of split over it. Um, if you take the forward slash and the title face off and put it in my mind, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. It's like on the one hand, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like the narrative is rewarding, you know, the hero for his journey or whatever. But on the other hand, I'm like, it does feel like they've gone. They've forgotten about their deceased son Michael, and they've just kind of replaced. Yeah, I mean, don't make the kid <laughs> with this look so other f- child. Don't make the kid look so familiar as well. That's kind of the weird, like, because the, the scene where Travolta yeah. as Cage see meets his son for the first time and kind of goes into that like fugue state of like, oh, this is Michael. Like that was that was pretty strange. Mm. What were you going to say there? You just realized something. Uh, it's, oh, now I've got two things, but hold on, let's just stick with this point for a second. <laughs> so um, the son, right? Actually, I like the payoff of the son. I think that's. I think it's an. It does like link their two stories together mm. nicely. Um, yeah. But you, do mm. you guys know that there's going to be a face-off too? No. Have you heard about this? <gasps> so I've heard it's in talks. Yeah. Yes. So Travolta and Cage yes. are both signed up for face-off too. It's being written at the moment. But I think the son is going to be the link. I think that um, you know because Castor Troy's back in it, so he's going to have to come back alive like he wasn't really dead or something like the the um you know the spear through the stomach didn't kill him harpoon gun wasn't enough harpoon gun and i think the big thing is going to be like this guy's been raising my son this whole time like mm. he's going to want his son back or the son's going to be some i think it's going to be the key element for him to come back for revenge we all have to go and see that together oh yeah for sure for sure now what i was going to say though before was you were talking about um the the, the scar on the chest and and that was going to come back and what you made me realize is a huge plot hole in the film which is that when they swap bodies um you know uh, 
John Travolta is quite a bit, you know, he's stocky and, um, and Nick Cage is quite skinny. So they say, they solve that by saying, oh, we'll give you, a, a, you know, an abdominal plasty and we'll suck out some, you know, a liposuction mm. and we'll give you some abs or whatever. Um, but then you have to think that- They don't do the reverse. For the reverse, <laughs> right? Like they would have had to, like Nicolas Cage must have said, oh, you need to make me fat. Like yeah. you have to pump fat into me yeah. and make me look as fat as- no, not- Well, because they, they cut away from that scene where he gets the surgeon hostage- and gets the face done, but you also have to th- say, well, yeah, he did the voice. He must he have done the, the voice. He must have done the body. Uh, and then he burned them all alive. Yeah, he burned them all alive. But but is there even a is there even a way that's possible to add fat to the body? Like you can take it out, but can you got pump to, it got, back got in? Got Doctor Nick Riviera in there to show him <laughs> the, when the paper turns clear. It's your window to a weight gain. I love yeah, that. That's, that is a, that is a bad. I think Tari, that's such a good point you make though about the scar. Like they should have had that as something that would identify it. Because what a beautiful scene that might have been between the wife mm. and like for, for for her to see that it wasn't there. Mm. That would have symbolized like that the scar, like all that stuff. Like mm. it would have been, it, that would have been great. And they didn't play with it at all. That's that's such a misbeat. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so instead, it's just a, a very simplified scene in which um, Sean Caster as Nick Cage. This is going to get confusing for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's a very simple film. Once you watch it, it makes complete sense. But trying to explain it just <laughs> gets like convoluted, and you get stuck in this morass. But anyway, yeah. Uh, he just he just straight up says, "I've got this blood type. He's got that blood type." His wife um, Eve is a doctor, and it made me realize. Although this film, you know, is still uh, in, in a lot of ways a fossil of its time, um, it has much. And this isn't saying much, but it has much more interesting female characters compared to The Rock. I thought it was interesting the, re- the sort of revenants they had for the daughter. Whereas, mm. like when you, like I kind of you, you expect um, John Travolta's character when he becomes uh, when you know Castor Troy is inside John Travolta's body to mm. go to the teenage daughter and and be and it kind of does start playing out like this because he looks mm. at her through the door and sees her in her underwear and he walks in the room and he gets uncomfortably close and you think oh this is going to be a gross yeah, this, I don't want to um, see this yeah. this is going to be a gross like you know her dad coming onto her kind of thing mm. but then it plays out differently um, it plays out that he becomes quite protective of her protects mm. her from the boyfriend and you know and, and develops a bit of a bond with her it's also an interesting um, thing to note that um, that that older man lusting after her is actually a, a, a bit of a throwback to that the actress I, I don't know the actress's name that plays the daughter but she was Dominique the same Swain. actress that played Dominic Swain she pr- she played Lolita um, a, a oh. few it was a couple of years before in the in the film adaptation of Lolita the, yeah. the novel the, the 90s um, remake and she yeah. was that was a huge thing at the time because I remember that there was a huge audition process and wow. she beat like thousands and thousands mm. of other girls to play this um, if you're not familiar, Lolita, she's, a, she's the object of desire for an older man mm. and she's like a 15-year-old. So mm. that's that's twice in her career that she plays this mm. kind of like yeah. titular sort of like young teenage girl who's lusted after I mean, got to be why she got man. this role, right? Well, maybe, maybe like, that's the reason. They're yeah. like, John Woo was like, I know she can do she's it. She's like, I need the Lolita. I need the Lolita girl. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, who was in, who was the male in that? It was, wasn't it like someone like it was a, the guy it was a played, name, right? It was the it guy was, played Scar from The Lion King. What's his name? Oh, Jeremy Irons. Yeah, yeah Jeremy of course. Irons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like a big name kind of old theatre actor. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention in those scenes where we start to see Sean Archer as Nick Cage, as the bad guy, like meet his wife and try to explain this mm. stuff. And you, Tyra, you mentioned the blood type stuff. Like mm. he, I under like 
it's so interesting that he his instinct or his way of like to he, he's automatically so ready to like be physical like to like caress her or to kiss her like and i'm like yeah. dude like this is the guy who killed her child. Like, stop trying to kiss her. It was really, like, annoying me where I was like, stop. I know that you're, like, sad and, like, you want to connect. I was, uh, it was such a bad move on his part to yeah. be, like, the loving, like, it's me. And not even when she hadn't fully even begin to, begun to trust him and yet, mm. and he was still, like, trying to get, like, trying to, like, you know, just mm. kiss her goodbye and stuff like that. And then she does kiss him at the end. Yeah. When, after the harpoon scene... She gets him, she loads him into the ambulance and like yeah. gives him a kiss. I'm like, this is weird. This is weirder that she's like kissing the face as opposed to the soul yeah. of, of, of like, you know, the, or the, the person, the personality. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, is a big, it is a big leap, isn't it? You mm. have to suspend your disbelief quite a lot, mm. which I just kept saying, like, stop trying to touch okay. her, dude. Like, <laughs> no, this is good. You, you tapped on something. That, that idea of suspending disbelief, that's uh, a really good point. Um, yeah, very important for this film. It's I mean, it's called Face Off. I mean, just a little. You don't have to use a lot of imagination to you know to realize that. Like, yeah, it's a it's a goofy premise. It's a very goofy premise. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's now who was it? I really want to get her name up. Um, where have I got oral history of? Here we go. Janet Maslin. So she's this critic from the New York Times back when this movie came out, and she wrote something. She wrote about. She said. About John Woo, he accomplishes something near impossible. He makes the viewer buy this film's loony premise and buy it with a smile. And I think that's very true. Like, when I, whenever I heard the premise of this film, Face Off, I was like, eh? What the hell are you talking about? Face Off? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. But yeah. John Woo just has this... I don't even know what it is. He has that it factor... Where obviously, like, as soon as the the credits roll, I'm like, well, that would never happen. Uh, I still, like, I still invest in the ride, basically. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how he does it. I think it might be less... It could be John Woo, but it also could be the writers. Um, because they, they do have those moments of, like, good psychological reflection. Mm. I think the best moment in the whole film is when they look at the... They're looking at the... Through the mirror. Yes. And... and and aiming the guns at themselves, which psychologically and and sort of symbolically is like they're looking dead in the eye of their enemy. Mm. Um, and you have that moment of like, yeah, they're inside the bodies, but they're still seeing themselves yes. as the enemy. Yes. And then they start firing. That's it's that stuff that makes you buy it. Makes yes. you go, yeah, okay, I'm on board here. It's not it's not as goofy when you think about it like this. Mm. Like it's a, yeah, a genius moment of um set design, writing, whoever yep. came up with that moment. Yep. I think, yep. I think I'm nodding my head well is like yeah. something yeah. that that yeah, the acting as well is something that and obviously that would have been affected by Wu like just yeah. just the buy-in. Like you can't you can't get into something like this unless you feel like there is a a genuine sense that like the actors are kind of attached to it and feel something about it. Like mm. I, was, I, was, I heard someone talking about how, I think it was Brian Cranston talking about how when you're in a comedy, the the worst thing you could do is, is act like what you're doing is funny mm. because that takes the responsibility off the audience to laugh. Like, whereas if you're playing like for him in Malcolm in the Middle, mm. he was playing these hilarious circumstances as completely serious or fearful or emotional whatever and because he's not laughing we can laugh at the absurdity of it (laughs) whereas if he's giggling along it's like watching live comedy like a sketch Mm, if they're laughing like we can all laugh at them laughing but we're not laughing at the scenario anymore we're laughing at them cracking up Um, and I think it's the same thing with this with Travolta and Cage it's like and that's what I'm on it I'm, I'm serious when I say about like when Cage is upset in this film like when he is when it's 
um, uh, Sean Archer in Nick Cage's body. And so Nick Cage, the actor, has to betray this, like, this act, this uh, FBI agent who's kind of like un- unraveling, mm. like that's I th- I find them to be the most compelling moments because mm. there's this sense of like he's just, like you you I felt like in those moments I was like far out this would be, like he his situation gets so bad in this movie mm. like it's he's he's in a prison that he's never going to escape surrounded by animals and he's he's the person who killed his son is now in his house with his wife mm. and, and daughter mm. and like it's like it's one of the mm. worst scenarios that any movie character has I think ever yeah. found themselves. <laughs> Yeah. In. It's such torture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I um, love that scene where where Travolta where um Castor confronts um Sean in the prison to tell him what he's about to yes. do. And yeah, he has that great yeah, line. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is the classic um there's 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 so many moments in this movie that um that are I think are iconic that you just remember mm. forever and I yeah. and it's 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 the yacht that's sort of face <laughs> off in the prison. What um it's the it's the mirror, the mirror. it's the boat well, chase, yeah. it's the, the boat chase. I love the boat chase as well, out of nowhere as well. It's like that yes, has we've not it is one of those things. We need and we need we need like how do they get near a marina so quickly? What's yeah. going on? Like you know, it's the most they, conveniently the most placed church that they're in beforehand. The most unjustified kill of so many in this movie is definitely the red the guy. speedboat guy oh, who guy. just gets absolutely <laughs> mown down on it, like for no reason. He's just sitting there like polishing. Just do you like, know what? Yeah. I feel like that doesn't happen anymore in movies. No, like no, they, they definitely do, not. They don't just brutally kill a bystander. No. For and no, and like just for no a, reason, yeah, like no, they, it's like it's yeah. like get out of the car, get out of the car, yeah. throw to the ground, yeah, and throw then to the ground. That, then that yeah. character will usually have like a ah, you hey, are like why aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> but in the nineties, I feel like the nineties there was they were quite brutal in action. Was they would they would murder yeah. straight up a bystander for their car or for whatever, mm. um, and it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Maybe mm. audiences don't really like seeing that, but um, mm. it's just it's pretty because even, even I was like yeah. he was like hey. Brrr, just, yeah. <laughs> Just in the water, I was like, yeah. "Oh, the poor dude didn't yeah. even stand a chance." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just minding his boat, one is probably going fishing with his son later in the day, just you know, getting everything warmed up in the boat. Yeah, and, oh jeez, oh, yeah. I want it's that kind of, and also like weirdly um, graphic in ways in ways that you're like, I don't know if this would be a thing anymore. Where like I noticed in the scene in the hospital where John Travolta is going to confront his wife. Um, uh, because he's like, oh shit! Like she suspects it. Like she suspects me for mm, being the bad mm. guy. And he pulls back that sheet of the person that she's operating on. Oh yeah, he has a big wound that on his head. That dude is like, why is he so graphically injured? Like, <laughs> yeah. like needlessly. Like he's half his face. It looks like she's operating on Harvey Dent or something. Like, <laughs> like I want to know why that. Like, so that it, why couldn't it have just been like a? I don't know. It was a. Fu- it was a funny. It was clearly like the prosthetics they had some like leftover. Yeah. Like, just like <laughs> yeah. let's just pace this guy up and make him look real brutal. Slap him up full of muck. Yeah. Yeah. And for the severity of his injury, he's just—it's kind of a very casual surgery too. It's just mm, kind yeah. of like her just mucking around with this giant yeah. face wound. Yeah. I want to—I want to bring something up that I because I feel like you guys will have something to say that might shed light for me. Where mm. we've talked a lot about John Woo and his kind of choices, and also this being a Nicolas Cage trilogy, I feel mm. like Nick Cage would have kind of like really reveled in this moment. Yeah. Um, towards the end, when uh, they're attending the FBI head of the FBI's funeral. Mm. And it, it turns, we were talking about Nick Cage, like entering scenes, slow motion, mm. all this dramatic stuff. It goes very religious. In fact, like John Travolta even says okay. when they have that standoff in the church, like, isn't this religious? Like, what, mm. do you, what did you make of the, the Christ kind of religious, like good and bad iconography that, that, are, that kind of is, it's so, it's so played that mm. I just was like, I couldn't really read what it was, but what, what do you, what do you reckon, Ty? Uh So yeah, I'm, well, churches... And doves feature pretty heavily in um, John Woo's iconography. 
in all these mm. movies. He's a pretty devout Christian fella. So he loves that as a setting. He loves the dichotomy between good and evil and like innocence and evil as well. That's why in a lot of his movies you'll also see children caught in like caught in the middle of a gigantic shootout. It happens with this in this movie with Caster's son. Um, but it famously happens with Chow Yun Fat's character in which one was it? Boy, um, um, Hard Boiled. Have you guys seen Hard Boiled? Mm. Is no, that a I yes? No? no? No. Okay. So, Chaeyoung Fat, those. basically, he's just shooting up a hospital, but he's got this baby that he has to look after, and he's, like, holding it while being shot at. And it's something that just appears again and again in his movies. I don't know the deeper meaning of it, but I think he's just fascinated in that fight between good and evil, innocence and evil, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and There were just so many shots of Christ himself, like, yes. on the crucifix. It was yes. just so... And I was like, yeah. it's so it, Wu is usually I don't know. He's mm. not. I don't know if you'd call him subtle in in other ways, but like, it was like it for mm. me. It was like it almost because of the timing yeah. of it in the movie. It was almost like him being like, this is what it's all been about, yeah. mm. kind of thing. Oh, I didn't see. Oh yeah, but I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know what message to get from that. Like mm. I, you know what I mean? Well, I think he's he's just like interested in like explicit. watching this tortured yeah. soul as well. Um, Sean just mm. being like dragged through the mud this entire time he just he's interested in seeing like how much a man can cope with as well he's being tormented Mm. by this guy who's mocking you know something that's very like important to john woo which is like you know christian christian icons basically um do we think that the latin that travolta said when he was walking up the aisle was just absolute gibberish (laughs) did you listen to it properly pretty much that it was crazy. Yeah. It was like, I was like, this was definitely improv and they didn't get like yeah. a translator on it or something. He just was like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it all, to be honest. Like I'm thinking about it while you're talking. Do you, think, do you agree? Do you think it, Do you think I'm, I'm over, like reading into it too much? Or uh, no, like- I think because it's not, it, it, to, I'm trying to think about the film, but I don't think it was, there was really any religious motifs no. throughout the film. It was kind mm. of very heavily at the end. Yeah, just features um, there. You know, yeah. White dove, symbolic of peace, Christ, symbolic mm. of like, you know, Rebirth, rebirth. I'm not sure it, it works cohesively with the narrative of the film. I mm. just think maybe mm. that that yeah, as Tyree said, John was interested in that iconography mm. and and wanted to include it at some point, but I don't think it was weaved. It, that's into what the I mean. That's I guess, I guess that's what I'm trying to I'm, I'm getting at is that it felt like it was mm. leaning. It was borrowing things like that, but yep. in a very vapid way. Like it was like being oh. like, "Oh, let's do let's do doves, let's do Christ, let's no. do yeah. religion, let's do." Like I didn't feel like it was adding to it because I didn't mm. really see what it was saying about it. It was just kind of like, yeah. "Let's have this location." I don't think be, it was. It was like steroids. It's like nothing but nothing. Yeah, underneath it. I don't think I don't think the transplanting it into the film. I don't know. Worked as seamlessly as transplanting transplanting um, John Travolta and Nick Cage's faces. I'm trying to make a meme here. It's not working. <laughs> anyway, but I don't think it was superficial. And that's just just having seen it. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, it's like um, in a Tarantino film. You're like, all right, we're in for non-linearity. We're in for lots and lots of dialogue. And there's going to be a shootout at some point. Mm. It's like that when you go into this. It's like, all right, we're going to see doves. We're going to see churches. We're going to see lots and lots of shootouts and gunplay. And actually, just on the, just on the doves thing, um, I was reading this one... Uh, interview with a lot of different people who worked on the film Barry Osborne being one of the producers and actually mm, funnily yeah. enough Michael Douglas was a producer on this I saw that as well that yeah. Michael Douglas yeah. of Basic Instinct fame um, anyway uh, Barry Osborne another one of the producers he was um, 
he was talking to the first AD and the first AD was saying, we need a lot of doves for this scene. And Barry's like, doves? Like, this is an $80 million project. We don't want to fuck around with doves. We're already like, you know, throwing money at this thing. I don't want to waste more money. So he goes up to John Woo and he says, look, I'm sorry, we can't do the doves. Not realizing that it's such a heavy part. It's something he includes in a lot of his movies. And then the way he describes John's reaction <laughs> seemed very sad to me. So he's like, he says... I didn't realize that was a trademark of many of his films. So I went down and said, John, you can't have pigeons in the scene. And John looked at his shoes and walked away. (laughs) 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 And then the next day he found out more about it. I was like, okay, it's very important to him. So he went up to him and said, we can have doves, but you can't like, you can't coordinate them. Like if they're going to fly in the scene, they'll just do whatever. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Do you know what? This is fantastic to hear about because I wrote down a note (laughs) towards the end, obviously during this church scene. And I said, were birds like strategically part of this shoot? Because there was a moment where it cut to Travolta running, running away or trying to shoot cage or something. And the pigeons flew around and over him in a way that looked so untrained. (laughs) And so like, like he had just run into it, like George Costanza, his way into a bunch of pigeons or something. And was like, we had a deal. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is it? It was great. But, um, Oh, that's fascinating. That, that's, yeah. It's so interesting when directors have those things that they're just mm. like, I just, it just speaks to me. I just need it. I just love it. I just love doves. <laughs> I just think they're neat. <laughs> I, oh what what is it neat. with you? Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's maybe my... Maybe they weren't doves. Yeah, maybe yeah. they were just like pigeons painted, painted white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like classic the, Hollywood. Yeah. And they were, I, that way they were just like hanging out in the building. Uh, normally yeah. just, we just tape a bunch of cats together. <laughs> <laughs> What um? Oh. Look, I made you a pigeon rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's his Just next runs film into for the sure. Hole and hits its head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the What was the critical reception to this? I I didn't get a chance to look it up or like see. Um, was it like good? Like, yeah, really good. It's it's it has a high Rotten Tomato score. I want to say like. Uh, above 85. Mm. Um, why is it whenever I talk, we lose tire? <laughs> <We lose tari. laughs> Must be the dulcet tones of my voice. Mm. Um, yeah, it has, it has, I think it has an 85. We can look it up. It has a 3.2 on, uh, or 3.7 or ish or something on um, Letterboxd. But the love for it in, in um, I think, both kind of pop culture and or just general populace and like, Cinephiles is pretty um pretty undeniable. Yeah, and it has a ninety two. Eighty two audience score. Hello. All I can say all I can say about it's sorry to cut you guys off, but to answer your question, Matt, all I can say about its critical reception is um that one excerpt from that New York critics um uh, review of the film and then Siskel and Ebert who both liked it that's all I know <laughs> well Brenny and I were just looking at some reviews online Brenny what did you yeah yeah find? so Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 92% critic Ooh. score and an 82% audience score Ooh, that's fascinating I would have never guessed in a million years that the critic score was that high or that it was higher than the audience score. well because it was praised for its in, its you know originality at the time mm, the, right. the fact mm. that it, it took away the um, yeah. you know, as we talked about before the, the sort of like um, you know big city threatening um, mm. tension mm. and just brought it back to two characters, two arch, yep. um, arch nemesis. And, and um, yeah, that's what critics loved about it at the time. And then the, and the action set pieces were amazing for its time as well. And <clears throat> um, yeah, just a few things, just I'm, I'm just scrolling through mm. um, Rotten Tomatoes right here, but you can see um, 
you know, face off becomes more than just a genre exercise. So it's, it's out, it's, yeah. it sort of sits outside the genre a little mm. bit slick, sick and sensational. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a few things here that suggest that yeah, people really in, at the time, I mean, a lot of these reviews are actually from now to be honest, oh. but at the time they would have been saying the same thing. Mm. Um, fascinating to watch both actors interpret um, the demonstration of the respective mm. transferences of character, which I think is good. It mm. is it is quite interesting to see them play each other too. Yeah, yeah, Brenny, I'm curious to know actually because you've been with this film since it came out. Basically, um, has this film changed in your mind a lot? Matt mentioned like revisiting it and having a different take on it. So I'm curious to know: did this film have like a sort of arc in your mind where it went from being a great action movie to then being ah oh, Nicolas Cage meme, and then? I <laughs> know leveling back out to a great action movie again or is it stayed well, consistent me, like, with you yeah well the reading my reading has changed over time because yeah. I watched it as a kid in 1997 I would have been nine years old no 11 years old mm. um, so I probably watched it as like 11 12 year old and probably like you know throughout my teenage years revisited a few times when it was on TV and yeah. like just thought it was a sick film yeah. you know like <laughs> with like cool action and like lots of death and like yeah. um, you know that that was probably why I was really into it. But but also subconsciously, I would have been m- moved a little bit by some of the character relationships. Watching mm. it again recently after probably a break of, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 years since mm. I've seen it, mm. um, I was certainly more moved by the relationships that the characters had yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the thought and... Um, like I mentioned that my favourite scene now is the moment where they look into the mirrors. That would never yes. be my favourite scene back um, mm. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my favorite scene was easily the boat chase, like the <laughs> and the, the boat smashing through the police That's boat. That's so like, funny because I'm 28 and my favorite scene was the boat chase. I, wasn't, <laughs> I was like, I was like, whoa, look at him go! Yeah. That's what I always remembered, and I always remembered the line, "I want to take his face off." Yeah, because I quoted that for my whole life. But um, but the um, yeah, to me, watching it second time, I was totally struck by the symbolic and deep um, mo- meaning behind that mirror scene where they're looking at mm. each other's, they're looking at their own reflections, aiming guns at themselves mm-hmm. as the enemy. Like yeah. it, what it means to be inside your enemy's body, yes. inside the person that you hate's body, um, yes. it suddenly struck me as as really um, a really contemplative moment, mm. I guess. So mm. I was like, Something as well that I find interesting because of how deeply they get into that kind of enemy and uh like that relationship is that they never really get into explaining why cage was after travolta in the first place right no they don't they just it opens with him taking the shot with the sniper rifle at him when he's on the merry-go-round and and it's it's you know five six years later kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's not it's uh is it is it that long do they, uh, have a, do they have a time? Do they have a thing? Is there a I think time so. Jump? I can't There's remember. There's a Chiron I in think there. there is. Yeah, bit, because yeah. he's been hunting him for that long. He's been yeah, hunting yeah. him for a while. But they never Obsessing. explain. Mm. It's just it's just inherent, like, he's a bad guy, he's a cop, like, they, yeah. they don't like it, whatever. He's mm. got a target on his back kind of thing. Mm. But it's um, it's that's interesting that they don't get into any kind of backstory as to why Cage was after him. Yeah, I wonder if they'll explore that in Face Off too. I, I, like, I hope mm. they do. Go back I, in time. Yeah, I think it'd be curious. I, that's a great question, Tyree. I'm going to follow it up with, like, because it's a cage trilogy, yep. Brenny, like w- we've talked a little bit, Tyree and I, about our relationship with Cage as an actor. Yeah. And the, the irony of and the, the weird things that we came into contact with him mm. first because of our ages and just mm. because of what we would have seen first. Mm. So, you know, for us, it was kind of like even he like was, National Treasure. Yeah. It yeah. was uh, a film called Matchstick Men for Me with Sam Rockwell. <sighs> Love that movie. Fantastic yeah. film. Yeah. Tyree's, I think, what, did you have any others you were, you were mentioning, Tyree? I can't quite remember. I think what I what I remember was the time like I recognized Nicolas Cage as a leading man um, Hollywood 
star mm. was mm. as he became uh, like a sort of meme, the meme. in the culture. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so after yeah. these films and after, yeah, and so, mm. and even like something like, uh, was it, is it Knight Rider? What's the, what's the oh, Ghost Rider? Oh, Ghost Rider, um, something like that. But he, he's, he, he won the best actor in the in our in '95 when we were born, kind of thing. So he's got mm. this. We've got this somewhat weird connection with this guy yes. where he was like at his peak yeah. when we were kind of coming into the world. So yeah. what, what, what were your first instances of his work and yeah. how, um, has the, how, how do you see? How have you seen him as the years have gone on? Well, Nick Cage to to me has always been like um, almost like a Jim Carrey type character where the, mm. he had a shtick and his shtick was he was always the the oddball mm. um, and I think he was typecast as the oddball in Hollywood for many years like in every film in that, in that sort of era of like the 90s and early 2000s you think about every film he was in the character was never straight laced mm. think about Matchstick Man was it, in Matchstick Man he was the one with the OCD wasn't yeah, he yeah. Like, mm. you know, yeah. um, and yeah, almost every film and Moonstruck I, he even, you know he just was so dramatic and had that you know mm. he lost his arm and was so you know yeah so that was the top. thing you wanted to see when you went to see a Nick Cage film you wanted to see Nick Cage being Nick Cage mm. and that mm. was being an oddball and if he was ever if he ever played a straight laced character I think those movies didn't do very well mm. Um, mm. you know with the exception of maybe National Treasure <laughs> and um and so, and I remember seeing an interview with Nick Cage many moons ago where he talked about the the weight of having to always be different. Mm. Um, you know, he wanted he wanted it, um, and so he just felt like the weight of like every movie I have to do, I have to do something that's unique, that stands out, mm. that makes me you know, it makes people want, want to see this movie again, and, mm. and and the weight of that. And I think what's that movie recently that just came out, which was the unbearable, unbearable weight, weight of massive talent. talent. Yeah. I yeah. haven't actually seen it. Mm. But if I had to hazard a guess, it, mm. that that idea of the weight of massive talent, the weight of having to like always be Nick Cage, mm. and the, and what Nick Cage turned into, Nick Cage was his own genre of actor. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. you, yeah. people would say, like, that's a very Nick Cage performance mm. that that person put on. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's the unbearable weight, right? When mm. you become your own genre. Um, so to answer your question, you know, that was my experience of him was that wow. you, if we went to see a Nick Cage film, you were like Jim Carrey, you knew what you were in for mm. um, and you expected it. And if you didn't get that, it was somewhat of a letdown. You knew yeah. what you were in for in a way that you didn't know what to expect. Is that kind of how to like well, it, it was? You, you did know what to expect. You, you, you knew to expect an oddball yeah. Um, yeah. in some sense. This, um, you, don't, you don't cast Nick Cage to play a Wall Street financier. You know, it's going to be a... It's yeah, he gonna literally be a, plays the devil in one film, right? Isn't yeah. It? Like the, yeah. The devil. Devil's Advocate, I think, is or he. he I think wasn't in, that Keanu uh, which, Reeves in uh, Devil's Advocate? Wasn't that Keanu Reeves in Al Pacino? Oh I yeah, we'll so, cut that yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he's playing Dracula now in a, in a new movie coming out. Is that what you're thinking? Yes, of? yes, and I think, but but even what you said about National Treasure, mm. he's playing a, a kind of straight laced guy somewhat, but he's say, saying things that are kind of uh, the the flagship of each of those trailers mm. are like. Um, I'm going to kidnap the president of the United States. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. lines that you see Nick Cage delivering, and you're like, "Yeah, this is, this this Nick, feels Cage. This Nick Cage." Feels Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. If you saw another actor do that, you'd be like, "This movie looks really dumb." Yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. other people see that and say that anyway. But it's like, yeah. there's again, it's that buy-in that you get from him that you're mm-hmm. like, and That's even right. even in the way, like, I mean, the only the the film will get into our rankings, I think, soon. But like mm-hmm. the film in this trilogy that I struggled with um, being Con Air. 
I can't deny that Cage was doing something. I, for me, it didn't work, which is yeah. a rare swing and a miss for him, in my in my mm. opinion. But like, he was definitely trying mm. trying something on. Yeah, and mm. I think that Nick Cage. I always sort of felt sad for him in his later career because he never really had that one movie that broke the mold. Mm. Like, you know, if you think about, it, I'll just go back to Jim Carrey for a second. He had the Truman Show, where people mm. went, "Oh, he can be serious," and, mm. and um, many other actors. You know, um, 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 Adam Sandler had Punch Drunk Love, mm. and now go, recently oh, okay, you Uncut Gems as well. As another one yeah uncut gems jonah hill had you know a whole bunch of stuff mm. so you have these funny actors that mm. do this serious movie and you go oh wait there's there's extra talent there that mm. we yeah. that's untapped nick cage never really had that would and you- hill i reckon i reckon pig did anyone say pig yeah no. but i would argue that pig that i would argue that pig hit for like film people but I would say that, but not very, for the general like it's, audience. That's not a. That's not a. Like whereas something, I would almost say that he had um, Nick Cage had his had his breakout when he won the Oscar for it, right? Leaving Las Vegas, like that was almost the film that w- that cut through maybe culturally, yeah, probably, yeah. But then, yeah. but then as which which is so interesting that he then went in to do in 96, 90, 97 and ninety seven. He did these three films, which mm. kind of launched him into the next chapter of his career, which is mm. like action hero yeah and that's where that's where he got stuck forever yeah Mm. yeah. and when it's funny that you mentioned like um you know that pig only cut through with hollywood that's that's kind of all it has to cut through with because it's it's just the people that are going to cast you in the next Mm. thing and take you seriously to give you more opportunities so i I think if it cuts through with hollywood that's that's enough to get i think i think you're correct uh, in the sense that pig's leading to new things for him yes pig is leading to unbearable weight pig and that's leading to dracula and what i'll what i'll say is pig is sort of um the critics' choice for for Nicolas Cage, and then Mandy, the film that came out one or two years prior to that, is like the people's choice. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people who went to see Pig were expecting to see Nicolas Cage do something batshit. Um, yeah, but he did. Uh, I haven't seen Pig, so I don't know what happens. But, but he doesn't go batshit crazy, obviously. Uh, so I think no, it's very restrained. It's restrained yeah. Nick Cage, and it's definitely giving him a new like, life. What's this? But mm, the yeah. critics went actually. But yeah. every time I've this heard is- Cage talk about this period of his career, either when it's um you know, leading into the film. So like the behind the scenes extras or, or even retrospectively, he talks about, um, it's not as if he was going for these films as like a way to launch his career, like make a lot of money, you know, be this leading man. It was, it was always a choice of like these characters fascinated me. Mm. So like Mm. I wanted to play a free man on a plane full of convicts. I wanted to play a bad guy who gets the face of the hero. Mm. Um, I wanted to play a, you know, a scientist who, who gets muddled up in this action. Like it's, it's never, um, it's never him being like, I want to go and be Tom Cruise. I want to just be this normal kind of, stereotypical action archetype he's always coming at it from this angle and they just happen to be films that were enormous in terms of like budget Mm. scope Mm. um you know the money they made all this stuff and so like you said he gets trapped in that well i think he's always he always saw himself as a character actor Mm. he's Mm. he's not particularly good looking like tom cruise Mm. he's not particularly buff Mm. like um any of the bodybuilding um action heroes he was always the quirky skinny guy Mm. um so that's that's where he got typecast. Mm. He did have a few movies where he was where he was the good-looking lead, um, but I never quite, it never quite if, worked for me. If someone <laughs> were to say to you, um, "Hey, I've never seen a Nick Cage film. Can you recommend one that I'm going to watch tonight?" What would Matchstick Men? Yeah, me too. Yeah, 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 me yeah. too. That was my favorite. I would say I've. Mm, what would I say? I would say Leaving Las Vegas is it's an easy pick, I guess. Yeah. It's a boring mm. pick. There's but another I saw one that I, he does about. Uh, I think it's called something. It's got the word man- mandolin in it. The title. Um, oh, it's like a really, it's like a very, mandolin. yes, it's like a famous art housey kind of like it's, and it's like very subtle, very small. Right. That was hated. Like, 
Well, what, that's the th- yeah. Captain Someone's Mandolin was it hated? I thought it was kind of like a critical darling. At least I think he got like he may have been nominated for a Razzie for that performance. Ah, uh, okay, then I, yeah. yeah, we'll cut that as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but it could be like even if he did get a Razzie for it, it could be you start you know you recommend it because yeah. you think it has something in there. He's good in Devil's Advocate. In fact, you'd think that he was playing Keanu Reeves. He's, that, he's just that good. Um, Tyree, I think we should get into our rankings and then and then spin the wheel of, of well, trilogy. What do you think? I just wanted to make one final hot take. One final no. hot take, if I may. No. We're going to cut you. I'll cut no. you, boy. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to. Go on. I can't. I'm too no, far go. away. Um, I'm also trying to find the list of trilogies, so I'm just stalling for time here. Uh, oh, okay, fair. <laughs> um, I think my hottest take. So, uh, like Brenny was saying, this film kind of shook Hollywood a little bit subverting a lot of spinning a lot of uh, like genre conventions on its head um John John Woo kind of and I will I guess I'll dig way more into this when we actually do John Woo in our John Woo unofficial trilogy um Mm. but I feel like without John Woo without his movies there is no there is no Reservoir Dogs and there is no Point Break and there is no Maybe to a lesser extent, but maybe even there is no like Triple R just recently that came out. Wow. Because his movies really um, focused in on the idea of two people, two friends usually, um, that are at odds with each other. And there's always this sort Mm. of like duel going on between them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's usually someone who's like on the side of the law and someone who's a crook. Um, That happens in, uh, which one is it? Um, A Better Tomorrow. With um, Leslie Chung and Chow Yun Fat um, happens again, I think, in the Killer as well. So that that idea of there being someone on the law, two friends, someone on the law, and someone who's a crook at mm. each other's, you know, facing off basically, is something that John Woo brought into the world, and I thank him for it. That's so cool! I can't thank wait you, to do. Hopefully, we get the John Woo trilogy soon because I love that. I love the idea that w- w- when I was watching this, and and you have that scene you mentioned about the kids being at the center of the action, or like you know, in, the, in harm's way, when he's listening to somewhere over the rainbow. I was like, ah, oh, this yeah. is definitely a take on like Tarantino. It's like mm. this ironic, like how how mm. clever are we being kind of no. thing. But like you've just said, it's like John mm. Woo may have actually pre. Like maybe he was borrowing from that, but also like maybe he helped inspire things like Reservoir Dogs and, and then mm. Pulp Fiction and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's no, interesting no, it was, to say yeah, definitely Triple way. R yeah. as well. Because um yeah, but the joy of watching Triple R for me was mm. was the absolute abandon of realism mm. and that's yes. the suspension of disbelief. It's just kinda of like you like like I'm gonna go with everything this film throws at me. Mm. And yes. I think that yeah, in a way that's what face off sort of started. Well not didn't start it, but it was continuing the tradition of uh, this this could happen. They could swap faces, and you just go with it. Potentially started in the sense of mainstream films. Yeah, like it, it's this is this is such a high concept. It's almost a sci-fi action film, yeah. but it's set in a world that is not yeah. meant to be. Yeah, and it makes you just all. go believe this, and you go, okay, I'll okay. believe it. Okay, John, um, I will. <laughs> and that was a, oh yes, one very last last thing. Again, trying to like I was trying to like connect all these films together in some way. I'll make a point about them with Nicolas Cage, I guess, in mind, but I couldn't do it. One thing I noticed was each, because they're all action movies, each one of these movies has some kind of Mexican standoff at some point mm. in the film. In The Rock, it's between, you know, General Hummel, you know, Ed Harris and like the rest of yeah. his men. In yes. Con Air, there is one very minor one between Nicolas Cage and a bunch of non-characters at some point. <laughs> and then this one obviously has the gigantic Mexican standoff in... um 
uh, in the church at the end, the kind of final standoff, which made me laugh because like so many more, so many more guns kept on showing up. Where I was like, someone was like, "Oh, I thought of that." They bring out another person with a gun. Then Gina Gershon comes in; she's got a gun. Then some random guy comes in with another gun. I love that. Um, like, he's gonna die. He's gonna die. Um, but like. Again, and this is something that you see in Reservoir Dogs, the the Mexican standoffs and stuff like that. But like, I don't know, he just he makes them so much more interesting. Usually because there's some big grand wide shot to kind of connect all the actors in a space, whereas all the other ones are shot like seventy mil lens or something like that, tight on everyone's mm. faces. You get mm. maybe one wide shot, but it's brief and it's static. This one mm. has this really epic shot from. It goes from like an OTS from like a, a close up of um, John Travolta, I think tracks back to almost like an OTS of Nicolas Cage and you get this nice wide shot of all the all the pieces in place with their guns pointed mm. at everyone. Yeah, over the so shoulder. So you get yeah, a good idea of space. And then he does that, you know, thing where it's like slow motion and guns popping off and... Yeah. It's cool. Cowboys and shit. I don't know. <laughs> well, the listeners um, know that the OTS is over the shoulder. Yes. Oh, yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For all those people yeah. who are not in the know, that's some uh, Tari and I are the only film. ones to listen to this, so we'll <laughs> <some> film <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but this yeah, is good because I, I didn't know what they, it meant. So I'm glad. For <laughs> yeah, I love the way they connected all that together. Um, while you're still, while you're looking up the the, the um, lists, one final thing I just thought of mm. is um, yes. back to that point of tying in the religion. What was the name of um, of Cassius's brother? Oh, um, do we have that? Is that Lu- like Luxem? Or no, it like, began with a P. Oh, it was like pa- Paxson, 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 or oh, Philemus, or something like that. Yeah, Pollux, Pollux Troy, Pollux, Ooh. Pollux Troy, yeah. Pollux and Cassius are the sons of Zeus. So oh. maybe there is, maybe there is a religious tie-in oh. somewhere with the writing that we've missed. Really, It'd be interesting to look. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to look it up. I, but I did think it was interesting those two names, but I didn't bother. So, so yeah, okay, right. I'm, I'm sure there were sons of Zeus, and they were. Mm, Zeus, Zeus had like a thousand He children, did have a lot like But a lot I, of, I'm sure they were part of a story Where they were exiled or something right. No I can't remember mm. I have to really look it up But Maybe um, they're going to dig deeper Into that Greek mythology maybe, uh, in, the, yeah. in, the in the sequel In the sequel We I have to well, Not only do we have to see it together But we have to do a follow up podcast Tari It has to be the fourth of this trilogy Also I think we should predict What's going to happen in the sequel Because there's going to have to be Another face swap It has to happen You can't have face yeah. off two And not have a face and swap have a face, yeah. not So have is a face it going to be their faces again Or will it be their children's faces I like the idea of the son Like that feels like a good like it could be this i mean hmm. what if it's yeah, their children but it's even further in the future and it's their children as old men and they look exactly like yeah i don't exactly know i guess like i guess they'd have to have another child in the mix somehow yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they because that's an interesting writer's challenge maybe it'll be their pets the are dog they gonna, and the cat have a face are they gonna set it in are they gonna set it in like 2024 you'd have because to, if they old. do maybe they can be like we don't need each other's faces to be able to face swap. We can just do deep fakes video, like videos, and that's enough for the. Oh, for the maybe. <laughs> just, just, Shit, <laughs> didn't think of that. That's I don't cool. Know. Maybe it is. A, yeah, maybe it's not a transplant. Maybe it's a. It's just a digital. A digital. Maybe it's like the um, or maybe it's the. That would know, be a big letdown. Mission Impossible I, I want, style, like yeah. Rubber I want thing. those lasers. I want those lasers again, which make no sense as well because they only cut the outside off, and then the whole face comes. Off. It's like you would have. To, wouldn't you have to like cut under and like get some <laughs> nose action in there? Like, There's a lot of. <laughs> Plot holes, I'm sure. We, we should have got a doctor on. We were just going to get into our rankings while you look for that wheel, Tyra. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, let's do rankings. I just literally had it up and there we go. Good, it's saved. Thank God for Google Drive. It saves things even when you close it without saving. <laughs> the best. Yeah, let's rank. 
I'm curious to know your your, your thoughts. Yeah, so Joel. like like we said, Brenny, the the end of each of the three episodes, um, we we put our, our the films into a, into a personal ranking, and then mm-hmm. we then we kind of you know vote on whether it should be sold as like a box set. Like if you were to go into JB Hi-Fi and you saw this on the shelf, would you be like, what? Or would you be like, yeah, that 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 that's deserved of an official kind of trilogy, like like you would yeah. see with Back to the yeah. Future or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go, so so coming in third for me is Con Air. Uh, listeners will know that I had massive issues with that film. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't think I need to say anything more. It was the least interesting, I felt like. And the and, and it also, weirdly enough, it was not the longest in, in running time, but it felt the longest. Um, yeah. And I think that as a result of the actors, we found out, you know, a lot of them were kind of not happy to be in it. They, 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 it there was, like we talked about buy-in on, on, on the part of Nick Cage and John Travolta in this film. It felt like people were having fun on Face Off. It felt like everyone hated their experience on Con F. So that's that's my third third place. What, mm. what would you say is your third? Um, third place is certainly Connie. I've only I've only seen it once. It was maybe twenty years ago, and I never mm-hmm. wanted to revisit it because mm-hmm. I just thought I can't remember much about it. But I just remember it wasn't worth revisiting. So mm-hmm. it's down the bottom. Whereas The Rock and um, and Face Off are definitely up there yeah, with yeah, yeah. many revisits. Yeah, there's like a big gap between my third and them, oh yeah, it's it's know, not even close. Not even like yeah. fair to put them on the same yeah. podium. Tari, what's your third place? Third place also goes to Connie. <laughs> personally, um, yeah. I liked it more than you did. I found it baffling and interesting, and I loved the cast. Mm. But yeah, visually, it was just very stale for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't have much place, to say. What are you? What are you giving to? You? I think I know. I think I. Oh, actually, maybe I don't. What do you put in your second? Oh, uh, I put in my in second place. Um, I put The Rock. Mm-hmm. Yep. Michael yeah. Bay's The Rock. Yeah. Um, it. it mm, I have so much to say. Uh, yeah. I have so much to say. It, it, well, we, it's we said very it all close. on like a two-hour podcast, so maybe like I don't like... No, no, no. I will repeat myself again. We, we have time. Uh, all I will say is like it, it gets bonus points for Walmart. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the name of the FBI agent that Sean Connery constantly <laughs> oh, right. has. So like, he's like arch nemesis, and we just thought the name yeah. Womack was just such a Womack. clever, such a good word for yeah. Sean Connery to just wrap his mouth around <laughs> each time. Um, it also goes for the name of the film, The Rock. You can't call it The Rock. It has to be The Rock. Yeah, The Rock. Um, Brenny, number two? Uh, it is The Rock. Okay, yep. yeah. Um, I love The Rock, by the way. Like I, I, I um, You know, cr- critically, it, it was like... Not as strong, not as well received as, as Face Off, mm-hmm. and I can see why it is. It is very Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I haven't listened mm. to your podcast about it, but um, mm. it is it is iconic. You want to watch it for those iconic set pieces again, mm. and 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 the the um, tension that exists um, is ramped up to extremes all throughout yeah. the film. So there's you know there's great stakes and stuff, yeah. and so that makes it really watchable. Um, but to me, Face Off. Oh well. You know, Face Off is my number one now. <laughs> to me, Face Off has just has that. Um, it comes down to good guy versus bad guy. It's mm-hmm. the simplicity in the perplexing um, plot mm-hmm. that and the scenario like that the, grounds the premise, it yeah. in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have yeah. It, to me, it's 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 one. It's it's an iconic film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With an iconic narrative that you watch it and you don't ever forget about it. So that's that's why it's my number one. I am going to be the odd one out and I'm going to go face off at two uh, and the rock at number one. I think um, 
Face Off, I definitely think there's a rewatchability there for me where like maybe I'll watch it one day and get more out of it. Mm. Maybe I'll get less out of it. I don't know. But there is that kind of unidentifiable thing that I, I, I definitely enjoyed watching it. But I think The Rock for me, it's I think in my opinion, it's Nick Cage's best performance in the three. I think it's uh, Ed Harris is incredibly watchable and Sean Connery is incredibly watchable. I'm, I'm with Brenny. Like, obviously, everyone knows the one I picked for first place. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I pretty much agree with um, with with Brenny. Um, I, I, this it's just so fascinating. This film, uh, the way it's made, it's got so much more of a bl- of a of a thumbprint on it that I mm. find fascinating. Um, plus, I'm just a diehard John Woo fan, so it's yeah, one of those things. Fair, fair. Well, Cage has officially been let out of the cage. He's been uncaged. He's running free. He's been uncaged. Yeah. Um, and we have commenced. Now it's time our- to put him back. No, he can put him back in the cage. He's out of the cage forever now. It's 1998. Who knows what he's going to do? No, 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 no. We can put him back in the cage now. He's been (laughs) uncaged. Now he's like, he's tired. He needs a bit of a. He needs a rest. He might get a new trilogy. He might, yeah. Like this post cage era. Maybe he'll get like um, the rebirth. Like an animal trilogy. Like he'll do Pig and then two other films after an animal. Yeah. Really existential films questioning life. Thus completes our third trilogy. Tyree, have you got the wheel? I do have the wheel. Um, before I spin it, uh, box set, would you include this in the box set just really briefly? I would say yes, I would put it in a trilogy, but I would say if people bought it to f- feel free to just, I'd, I'd make Con Air free. I wouldn't add it to the price. <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd say feel free to skip over that one if you want kind of thing. <laughs> Brenny, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, I'd put it in a box set. Um, you know, I think sometimes there's always a, there's usually in the box set there's the weaker film, um, yeah. but you yeah. kind of watch it because you want to see the the the, the cageness um, mm. of the film mm. and, and Cage's um, interpretation uh, and it, and mm. seeing it in context with the other films helps you make sense of the era of Cage. Mm. Um, mm. That was, you know, mm. 90, 97, was it 98? 90, no, two, like that's the thing that I think is the, the linchpin for me is that it's 96, 97, 97. Like 96, it's, 97, it's 97, so yeah. closely, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So it, it just helps you understand man. why he was cast and why people kept coming and why he kept yeah. making the same acting choices. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's, even though it's not a great film, it is It is important to understand his, the, you know, the error. And I think mm. he's different enough in each yeah. three, in each of the three for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would, I hesitantly put it into a box set as well because for me, like, Face Off almost sta- is a standalone film. It's so different from the other ones. Um, I mean, that's also helpful. I mean, that's partly because Jerry Bruckheimer has, you know, his hands on the first two films and then this one is different. Uh, we talked about the passing of the torch between Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Mm. We talked about him being almost like ascended in. <laughs> in con air because he's like a calm monk like kind of personality and then he's the villain in this for a good part of it um, yeah yeah so it's almost like he lived long enough to see himself become the villain <laughs> which is interesting so in it's like it's of like 18 months word. yeah yeah so brenny i'm sure matt's brought you up to, to speed when we finish a trilogy we spin the wheel of trilogies and that decides what picks our next batch of films to yeah, watch i'm excited basically. to just see what what you have to watch next because uh, I want to know if you've seen them or if you haven't. How, or, how many how many yes. options do we have? How many segments of the pie are we <sighs> spinning here right now? Oh, good golly. Um, let me have a look here. I think it's like uh, 70, th- isn't th- it? Like th- 70 th- trilogies. We've got to collate on the work. It's still, yeah, 73 trilogies we've yeah. got on there. Jeez, that's a lot to get quite, through. Quite yeah. a few trilogies. Uh, less, because I've, I've crossed one out, which is this one. 72. 
72 trilogies. Cool. All it's, right. like, it's like 200. Avid listeners films. of the pod can go back to the last trilogy and see if that number checks out. Give it a spin. Um, I'm going to give it a spin. Uh, anything you're hoping for, really briefly? Um, I'm hoping for a a a um, departure from action for a bit because we obviously did okay. Cornetto into Caged. Yep. Um, yeah. Obviously, I much prefer the Edgar Wright films, but they are very like mm. they are almost taking off yeah. films like this in a, in a weird sense. So there's a lot of shootouts, a lot of you know heroes' journey kind of stuff. It's like let's. I, I would love to. I would personally love to get into some of the stuff that you've recommended. The the kind of more artistic art house experimental film that i i've, I've just never kind of you know waded into mm. um so maybe the colors trilogy or or um oh, the, yeah. you know the neon trilogy i think there's a few others in there but yeah what are you what are you hoping for uh i'm so deep into john woo right now i could almost i mean it would be going straight from action to action <laughs> that'd be i, I could would, almost stay in this world brutal. a bit longer but if the wheel <laughs> could, if the wheel does we, has done anything to me it has given it has like just been a thorn in my side for like what i've you know, <laughs> it hasn't treated us kindly um, yet there's some animated trilogies I'd be keen to get into. Oh as well. yeah, that would be good. Um, there's a Toshi Kon one I'm keen on. Um, yeah. Brandy, do you have any? Um, do you know any unofficial trilogies? There might be one we need to add onto the list. Um, well, Satoshi Kon, yeah, you mentioned him. Like, there's there's some there. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, is, could you pick three of Miyazaki's films and make that in a trilogy? Or could yeah, you? there is a Castle trilogy. We've yeah yeah we have horn-shoed as we like to say on this podcast uh, or shoehorned I, uh, I, there's one that I really want to do we've morphed of, that into a trilogy there's um, one that I really want to do because of how much Tyree hates it which yeah. is um, the the Morgan Freeman plays an old retired guy who like goes and does a heist trilogy Ugh. with a bunch of his old oh, friends right. there's like three or four movies yeah. where Morgan Freeman teams up with like old A-list actors from like the 70s yeah. and like they go and do one last job all and right. they all look so bad. I would say... Um, you say you want to do that, but then you would have to watch, you know, four hours. hours worth of that shit. Yeah. I would say an interesting unofficial trilogy might be Justin Kurzel's, um Snowtown, Macbeth and um, and uh, Nitram. Have you heard about, have you heard about we, this? Do we have that on there? No, oh, okay. no, we don't. Justin Kurzel's Australian Might director. Have to add that one he, on does, it. he, um, yes. you know, I saw him do Snowtown, the bodies in the barrel murders, um, mm. Australian film, and then that was really similar stylistically to when he went and did um, Macbeth with Michael Fassbender, mm. um, and that was really similar stylistically. And then I went and watched. He did another Australian crime drama, um, uh, Nitram, which is about Martin Bryant, the the Port Arthur massacre mm. shooter, um, also very similar stylistically. So that's those are his three big films. I'd say those are an unofficial trilogy from an Australian director. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, we need some Aussies in here as well. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. I wouldn't have thought because I haven't seen Macbeth. I haven't seen Nitrum either. Oh, Nitrum, either. Um, I can see the easy connection between Snowtown and Nitrum. Uh, that's so interesting that Macbeth fits in there. Macbeth fits in there I'm because it's it's again it's a, it's a psyche of a murderer. He he kills the king, True. Um, and he's so it's it's three murderers, three psyches. Um, two are very uniquely Australian. One is you know Shakespeare, um, but Scottish, it, and also stylistically, <laughs> stylistically the way it's shot and edited, all extremely similar, extremely similar. So that's yeah. what separates Tripod from the movie podcast. We do things that you wouldn't expect. We do things a little different. <laughs> now spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. Spin that <laughs> okay, wheel. Spin the we wheel, just spin added like game show music like that. Bada bing, bada boom. It's spinning. Add in your sound effect here if you will. Okay, it's coming to a slowdown. Oh my god. Oh my god. <gasps> Ooh. 
okay, 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 okay. You okay. look pretty excited. I also need to get up my other website. I have to get up the other sheet that has the list of movies in there. Okay, so what is the um, trilogy called? Okay. The trilogy is the Once Upon a Time in Trilogy by Sergio Leone. Oh, no Spaghetti Western. Once Upon a Time in the West. Are you kidding Once me? Once Upon a Time in America. And weirdly enough, a movie called The Fistful of Dynamite. Apparently, they're linked in some way. Uh, I just need to get that list up and have a look. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. So, one. it's not the that's Dollars it. Trilogy? It's not the Dollars Trilogy. No. He did a Once Upon a Time in Trilogy as well. Or people call it that anyway. Wow. So I'm fast. Yeah. So all right. So the the creation of this podcast came about a little bit backwards, where mm. we were doing a podcast about movies yes. that don't exist. Mm. That and we st- like movies that have come out, no one's heard of them, and we just wanted to talk about them and realize how weird they were. And it started with a movie called R.I.P.D., which is a movie that um, <laughs> Rest in Jeff, Jeff's apartment. Jeff, yeah, yeah, Jeff Bridges did with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. You you are a, a film buff, so you know what that is. Yeah, yeah. We had no idea. Um, so <laughs> we did was... our episode on that, right? Yeah, yeah. We then thought, actually, a better idea is to do these unofficial trilogies thing, which was Tyree had found online. So mm-hmm. we thought, no, we'll restructure it. But we didn't want to waste that recording that we'd done. So we mm-hmm. thought, let's find, let's make up a trilogy that John Bridges, uh, Josh, uh, Jeff Bridges has done. Mm-hmm. And we we realized mm-hmm. that in the space of uh, six years or five years, he did three films where he played a cowboy. He did a True Grit, yeah. he did R.I.P.D., yeah. and then he did uh, Hello, High Water. Oh, and yeah. so we, yeah, yeah. we made a Bronco Bridges trilogy. We yeah. did it. And then we made the wheel of trilogies and we spun it for the first time. Yeah. The first spin we ever did, we got the Cornetto trilogy, the Cornetto trilogy yeah. which was like weird because that's the most famous of the mm, other trilogies. So people trilogies, will probably yeah. think, oh, you did that to, to kind of as an easy in, entry into easy it or whatever. In, yeah. We spin it again, we get caged. We spin it a third time only officially for our fourth mm. series and we get a Sergio Leone. I, for a second, I thought it was the dollars one, which would have been even crazier, but it's still wild that we're getting these ones that like are pretty much known. Like that's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's mostly known trilogies, unofficial trilogies on here. It's not like we don't. It's not. It's like ninety percent, you know, official unofficial trilogies, and then ten percent your crappy old man trilogies. I would say that the two most well known would be would be Cornetto and would be Sergio Leone. All the, the, the dollars, dollars trilogy, one. though. Yeah. This is his yeah. lesser known one, I suppose. So this is. So what are the movies? Uh, so the movies are Once Upon a Time in the West. Yep. A Fistful of Dynamite. That'll be our Con Air, I guess. And then cool. Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> Amazing. That'd be so interesting. I'm, I'm, I would love to watch those too, I might actually, because I haven't seen yeah, any of them. You can follow along. Yeah. We'll, have, we'll definitely have you back. Yes. Um, yeah. These I are also, this is going to take us at least eight hours to watch these films as well. Yeah. Another trilogy I'd always wanted to watch was the um, Richard Linkletter um, Sunrise trilogy. Do you know about that? Before Sunrise, after Mid... Uh, was it Before Sunrise? I don't even know what they're called, to be honest. Oh, I yes. Them. I think we may have... Do we have that on there? Before no, Sunset, that's, after that's narratively, Sunrise. It's narratively connected. Yeah, they're all connected. Uh, and they all have a similar is, name. Yeah. It's like Before Sunset, yeah. After Sunrise. I'm butchering it, but it's something like that. Did you not yes. hear the intro? It's not meant to be narratively connected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know oh, if they're narratively Get him out of here. They might be, actually. Get him out. I actually yeah. have a poster of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on my wall. Uh, I've watched it. Well, that's not a film we're doing, Matt, so I don't... No, sorry. <laughs> Hang on, let me take that again. <laughs> I have a, actually have a poster of Once Upon a Time in the West on my wall, and I've I've only oh. seen the intro to that film. Oh, which is can the you kind describe of the Can you describe the poster to all those listening? It is in the, detail. It is a, 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 it is a frame from that intro okay. where um, the ah. kind of standalone silent figure takes out the three kind of bad guys at the train station, and he's kind of like whipping out his gun while they're all. It's like the the. It's like the action point within the 
the breaking of stillness within the the Mexican standoff kind of s- setup. Um, yeah. Anyway, Brandy, thank you so much for coming on. It's been uh, a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and I hope you have me on again because yes, it please. was yeah. certainly fun to talk films. It's yes. like you are so you. wise. You've been such a guide time. for us as well. Yes, in the film world. Thank so you for thank lending you so your much. '90s and Nick Cage expertise to this because it was such a good way to round it up. Anytime, well, wrap it up. <laughs> All right, and thank you for listening. We will be back with uh, the Once Upon a Time trilogy by Sergio Leone. Join us then. Bye. Bye. I'm still with you. I wanted to say, I didn't want to include this in the thing, because we did a good job of not doing many Nicolas Cage impersonations throughout this trilogy, or throughout this recording, but like, I thought, you guys loved the yachts, and that was one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines as well. But my favorite line from that movie was when, when John Travolta's pointing the gun at Nicolas Cage's head, and he's like, please don't kill me, man. (laughs) You better pull the trigger, because I don't give a fuck. I thought it was so good. So inspired. Oh, I love that movie.